Welcome back to Ratchet and Wrench Radio, strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm your host, Chris Jones, where today I'm joined by Tara Topol of Topol Service Center in Lake Mills, Wisconsin. If you know Tara, you know she's a very respected woman in the industry. Uh, she was named the 2021 Shop Owner of the Year by Women in Auto Care, and she continues to have a very strong presence in that community. Uh, beyond that, Tara and I are going to dive into a conversation today about diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation as it pertains to the automotive aftermarket. So Tara and I are going to look at this thing from all sides and look at all the great things that the automotive industry has done and then some of the challenge areas that we have to address as an industry to better serve all communities people. And so when I say all, that's also being inclusive, right? We're talking not just about race and gender, which is typically the, the selling point of DEI programs and things that people talk about in DEI. We're also talking about things like physical handicaps or mental health challenges and difficulties. Those things also fall under the umbrella of DEI initiatives, right? And how we can be more accommodating to those types of people in the shop environment as well. And Tara and I are gonna discuss that too. We're gonna unpack all this. So I hope that you'll come at this with an open mind and just take it all in. So without further ado, here's Tara. Well, hey Tara, welcome to Ratchet and Rich Radio. Thank you. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you come to us by way of Topol's uh, Towing and Repair. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your shop. So um, our shop was actually established in 1948 by my father-in-law, Cliff. And uh, he was 50 years old when they had my husband, Dan. So there's a bit of a generation gap there. Um, but Dan and I uh, got together through stock car racing back in the late 90s and ended up getting married. And then um, in 2002, we were having our second child and his dad had a bit of a heart issue. So we decided we needed to kind of grow up and <laughs> take um, take you know ownership of the business. That was something that we both were um, looking forward to doing. So um, we've been operating the business then since January of 03. And um, we're in a small rural town um, halfway between Madison and Milwaukee in Wisconsin. And um, we were just able to actually position ourselves to build a brand new shop. Uh, we moved in this past August. So it's uh, just over 14,000 square feet, uh, 10 bays, and everything's up and running and going very well so far. Oh, very cool. So who was, who was the auto racer? Was that you or was that him? That was my husband. Ah, very nice. Yeah. I did help him on the team, though. I was one of the first girls in the pits actually, you know, doing hands-on and um, kind of starting to change that culture a little bit, even back then. Ah, so you've always been a, a disruptor. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Blazing paths, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you and I had a conversation uh, maybe a month or so ago about diversity and representation within the auto care industry. Um, you've been in the auto repair industry. Well, I guess you've been around it for longer than you've been an owner. You've been an owner since about 02, you say. Um, so tell, tell me how diversity and representation looked then. And then how does it look to you now? Especially then, it was just extremely rare. Um, and, you know, I think being a being a female in the industry is one thing. Um, I've definitely learned over the years that I've been extremely privileged um, coming into the business and, and being a, an owner um, put me in a position that I, I don't think I had to go through a lot of the repression and um, difficulties that so many people that I've talked to in the past have had to endure. Um, 
So that is something that I, I don't think I've had it as hard as the rest, but I do try to empathize and, and listen to what other people, their stories and what they've had to go through. Um, so especially back then, I think from an owner perspective, a lot of the um, a lot of the women that were in the industry were very um, behind the scenes. They were doing the books. They were just kind of more of kind of a secondary to the owners and the technicians who very typically were white men. You know, that's what it was back then. I see a lot of change happening, not as fast as I think it should, but it's a big reason why I've tried to dive into the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, platform uh, to be able to help other people who who haven't been as privileged um, to be able to find a way in this industry and not just find a way, but succeed. Right. Can you convey perhaps some of the stories that you've heard from other women who've come up in the industry who didn't have the same opportunity that you did to start an ownership, just some of the things that they've told you about their experience coming up through the industry? There have definitely been so many who have not been given, you know, seats at the table, um, who have been told that they can't because they're a woman. Uh, I know my mentor, Judy Zimmerman Walter, um, she has mentioned quite a few times of all of the things that she had to endure previous to, especially even previous to me coming into the industry. Um, she was the daughter of an owner, but um, definitely had to find her way up and um, almost demand um, her role within the business as an owner, you know, as she earned that position over time. So I think that from that perspective, you know, that's definitely one thing since I've gotten here. I think the most powerful story that I have so far has been more recently. Um, I was actually on my way down to the Women in Auto Care Conference in Indianapolis, and I had a young lady reach out to me who um, I had reached out to through a local association. She was having a difficult time in school. Um, she was only 18 years old and she was working at a dealership. You know, they she started out with a mentor there and the rest of the boys in her class also had mentors and they had already moved up and past the oil changes and different things at the services and they were already like rebuilding transmissions and everything. She still was not given that opportunity despite the fact that she felt that she had put the work in and um, was succeeding at what she was was doing. Um, one day she was at the dealership and somebody brought their vehicle in. Um, she went to hop in the vehicle and one of the owners of the vehicle said, there's no way that that black girl is working on my car. Wow. And um, unfortunately, from her perspective, the they actually um, had her not work on their car. They had a different um, male within the business work on that person's car. And then she actually was asked to go home for the rest of the day. Um, and then came back. Nothing was ever discussed about it. But I don't know that we can expect, you know, really anybody that age, but um, to have to be their own advocate at that point. Unfortunately, um, I, I came in and I tried to give her quite a few resources um, to be able to succeed. And unfortunately, she ended up, um, she's still somewhat in the industry, but more kind of on the part side. So definitely not living out her dream of being a technician. And that's extremely common. We had another young girl that had the very similar situation at the exact same dealership. So um, we can talk a lot about technician shortages, but until we get over this and kind of start opening up our minds to people being their authentic selves, then I, I think we're going to keep running into the same roadblocks. I think it's more hurtful. If I were in that position, it'd be more hurtful if I realized that my ownership didn't have my back in a situation like that, where they totally took the side of the customer, sent me home, gave the customer what they wanted, despite mm -hmm. them mistreating one of my people. 
Right. Yeah. Yep. It, it definitely. I mean, we. Can, I definitely would look at that and say that there either should have been an opportunity to help that person understand um, that you know her training and education allowed her to do what she needed to do, and if they still refuse that, you know, sometimes you just you can't change people. People have to change themselves, and either you can be part of that or you have to you know draw the line. And I I would have asked them to leave. Yeah, I was going to ask you that as my next question. As a shop owner, like, you know, what do you do in a situation like that when you come face to face with a customer who is being clearly bigoted towards one of your people? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? How do you confront that? Yeah, I like I said, I think you try to be part of the change. I it, Those are things that I've had to do in the past as well, even just as a female in the industry is say, how can I prove that I have the knowledge and expertise that they need? You know, even when I started answering the phone here and they would say, can I talk to the man in charge? And I would say, you know, this is Tara and I'm happy to help you. I have been here for a while and, you know, just let me know what you need and I'll be happy to get you the answers to your questions. Um, so I think it's it's important to try to be part of that solution. But like I said, so then it, it's, it's an opportunity to show them that they are qualified and uh, professional within our industry. And then just beyond that, if they still refuse, then I, then I think that we just draw the line and say, well, I know that we do. We draw the line and say, we're not going to be a good fit for you here. And there are several other great places in town that would be happy to, you know, maybe consider you. Do women in this industry have to work harder than their male counterparts? I think so. Yes. Um, there's a really good movie that was part of my training through Cadia, um, that Center for Automotive Diversity, Inclusion, and Advancement. Um, that's where I initially became certified. And one of the movies that we watched very early on is Pearl. It's P-U-R-L. It's out on YouTube. Um, but I strongly suggest anybody that you know wants to try to understand a little bit what it's like, um, take its eight-minute video and take some time to watch that. Kind of goes through the experience of somebody having to really kind of change who they are in, in order to be able to fit in. And I have definitely experienced that in the past where I felt like I needed to change who I was. I felt like I needed to dress a certain way and act a certain way, um, despite who I am. And eventually over time, fortunately, I've been able to, you know, develop more into who I am and let that affect the industry and our business. So I do think we have to, even if it's just, you know, psychologically, you know, the things that we have to overcome when we get to a table and it's all men, you know, that's as a female, but typically they're, they're white men. And does a gender pay gap exist in the auto care industry? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the statistics. I think um, it's been a while and, you know, they change pretty often. I know that the numbers are changing. The statistics are changing for the amount of females in the industry, but it's very, very slow changing at the leadership and the C-suite level. So there's there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done yet. Okay. Yeah, kind of looking outside and I've only been in involved in the industry for, you know, almost a year and a half at this point. And uh, it seems to me the industry is showing that it wants to be more welcoming and supportive of women. You know, we have women in auto care, we see them everywhere, you know, and people are championing that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a woman, is that your assessment too? Do you feel like people want to embrace women more now and really try to help advance women in the industry? Yes, I see that happening more and more. And that's where the allyship component especially comes in as something that I am an advocate for. So to answer your question, I would say yes, there's more and more. Um, I will be honest and say, I think there's a lot of times where, you know, it's like, oh, that's cute. We think women should be involved or, you know, we think that's, you know, a great thing. 
up until the point that somebody maybe feels threatened by their position being taken or um, by maybe not being more inclusive to just women, but to, you know, people of um, no gender, right? So um, maybe they prefer to be referred to as they, them. Um, now are we quite as open-minded to that? Um, different races, different backgrounds, different sexualities. Um, those are all part of people's true selves. And so the question then comes in is, yes, we're making big strides there. There's just a lot of work to be done yet on those levels as well. And I, that's where I, I hope to be able to use the privilege that I've been given to help other people to be themselves. Okay. Yeah, we did a, a piece back in November, and one of the shop owners was plotting the fact that the industry is acknowledging women. On, but on the other hand, uh, he was saying that there's a level of tokenization that happens too. Like it's just it's a it's almost an optical thing where yeah we we're showing that we support women, but everything else doesn't shake out to really show that that's the real side of things. Like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see that as well, or do you feel that, or do you like what is your take on how women are truly perceived in the industry and and how they are embraced in the industry. Mm -hmm. So um, part of how we learned about that then also is the intent versus reality. So the intent is I want to be open-minded and I want to, and I can say, I think it's great that women are in the industry. I think it's great that, you know, trans, you know, people are in the industry. They, um, people say that, but the reality is that that's not what's actually happening that people aren't actually getting the spots at the table, that people aren't actually um, being given the interviews, that people aren't actually able to get to that level. So, yeah, yes, I agree. The intent is different than what the reality is. And that is true. All right. Yeah. And something, you know, I've taken a bit of a hit for was, you know, just giving a voice to the LGBTQ uh, shops. I mean, we have LGBTQ shops around the country and I've, I've featured a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I've received like just really bizarre emails about like, you know, why, why should we care as long as they can fix cars and among other things. However, like no one's ever said it to me when I featured anybody else, whether it be someone of a different ethnicity, someone of a different, uh, of a different gender. Like what's the, what's the sticky point with that? Do you think? Um, it's a great question. I think lack of education and potentially fear driving that, those comments or those thoughts. Um, I know a wonderful thing that's come, you know, through Cadia is, and I I guess maybe just, you know, thank you for the platform here. I think one of the things that would be extremely beneficial for people is to reach out to, um, there's an organization called DOT, um, and you can find that at drivenbydot.com. And that organization um, is focused specifically on the aftermarket. And I think it's a, an amazing opportunity for shops to be able to, um, to learn and to grow in a safe place. I think that's it sometimes too. People have questions and they don't know where they can ask the questions or who they can ask them to. And I think that it's a great professional place for people to learn and grow within that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that resource. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not ignorant to the fact that change is hard. You know, change mm-hmm. is uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's highly intrusive sometimes. It feels like it's coming at you faster than you can adjust to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've had to be honest about even my own biases, like just really learning how to deal with situations, changes, people. Yes. It's, a, it's a human thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, at the same time, you know, it's about understanding our fellow human beings better, people in our industry better. So mm-hmm. how does an industry like auto repair, which has historically been male dominated, embrace so much change coming at it at one time? Um, 
Well, I think just as much as training is part of learning to be a better technician and learning to keep up with technology, I think that everybody at every level needs to make that part of their training. Um, trying to open up their eyes, like you said, to um, bias, whether it's conscious or unconscious, understanding what that even means, and then, um, you know, how that can make them a better person as part of their organization. Well, can you break that down for us really quick since we've got on that topic? What is a conscious bias and what is an unconscious bias? Conscious bias is knowing what you've grown up with and what you've been, um, you know, what your experiences have led you to believe. So I think that there are, everybody can say, you know, I I have this bias. Um, The unconscious bias is getting a a lot deeper, being extremely vulnerable. Um, That's been my keyword. I think all the way through all of my training so far is um, it makes you very vulnerable. And so once you get to that level, then you start diving into even deeper bias that you didn't realize that you had that does affect your thoughts and your actions. Now, for people who don't really get the whole DEI thing, you know, which you know, we talked about diversity, inclusion, and equity, you know, it's, re- it's really largely misunderstood as like this woke gobbledygook that they say, you know, like, oh, yep. it's just something that's being forced upon us and doesn't really have any value. I care about all people equally and blah, blah, blah. But why is that the wrong attitude to take? Why is it wrong to be kind of pseudo dismissive of it? I think by dismissing it, we're losing out and closing doors to a lot of talent. Uh, One of the other things that we talked about is, uh, you know, the quantitative versus the qualitative effects that DEI has. Um, You can, again, I'm not a huge numbers person, so I'm not going to sit and rattle off a bunch of numbers. Anybody can Google it. Um, But the profitability, the percentage of um, companies that do focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how much more profitable they are. So we can look at it that way. Um, The more important part is to look at the safety side, the safety aspect. Um, So, you know, people that um, feel safe at work are going to have less sick days. They're going to have less um, times that they're down, that their mental health is affected because of um, their environment that they're in. And so, you know, we all need help in those areas. But ultimately, if I have a hoist in my shop that needs repair, um, I'm going to I'm going to do everything I can do to, to lock it down and not let anybody use it because ultimately I need to make sure that everybody within my organization is safe. And I think that we lose sight of, um, you know, people feeling, you know, being safe within an organization. And I know, like you said, you know, I don't know how to help the people who say safe and that's a bunch of soft and that's a bunch of foo-foo. You know, I, I think that's a lot of what you're getting at. But ultimately, I think maybe if they can just open their minds to realize that, you know, if somebody isn't safe, it's it goes to work in their brains and it makes them less effective, less efficient, and ultimately probably won't stay within the organization very long. So your turnover is going to be higher. Um, you know, it's going to cost you more. And and ultimately, you you could end up in a situation where you don't have anybody working for you anymore because you're so close-minded. Yeah, that's very true. Because, um, you know, when you look at diversity uh, as a whole concept, you know, there are the, those are the two schools of thought where you've got the people who look at it as it's an opportunity to understand the people I work with, like you said, understand the community that I serve. And then you've got the people who are a little more closed-minded who see it as you're telling me how to run my business, you're telling me who to hire my business, you're telling me how to think about my business, which is the wrong, which is really the wrong posture. I mean, how why is it important to look at it from a standpoint of understanding your people, understanding your customers, understanding your community, as opposed to 
seeing it as like tyranny? Um, because I don't, I don't think that that's those types of organizations are going to last long. Um, and if they can't do it, then I think they need to get out of the way and, um, make room for leadership that can, if, if it comes down to leadership, having such a closed mind to think that this isn't important or this isn't something that needs to be embraced, then I, I think they're going to, it won't be long and they're going to be the minority and they won't have a place um, within the industry and just within, I think, our society as a whole. Yeah. And so is it important for, you know, as shop owners look at this and examine this this concept, is it important to have it at a policy level where it's a part of the, the handbooks, it's a part of, you know, the hiring process, it's a part of just the DNA of the shop of just understanding these concepts? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I learned by going through Cadia, um, I think a lot of times when we take a course or we take a, you know, we go to school to learn something or take some classes, um, it's something that we have Typically, what we do is we watch and we learn and we do, and we do while we're learning. Um, and DEI is not like that, you know, and instead of um, doing it as you go, you learn first and then you go. And if you try doing before you learn, um, a lot of people make a lot of mistakes that can actually be counterintuitive to what they're hoping to achieve. And what I mean by that is that you could, you know, there are a lot of people that were um, during the Black Lives Matter movement, um, organizations were changing their logos and, you know, doing things forward facing. But then within their organizations, um, they, that was far from what was actually happening and they weren't making the right moves, like you said, within their organization. So um, what I ended up learning is that the things that I learned then um, in the end, then I go back to the beginning and um, look at all the different facets of my organization and, and you weave it in. So I'm going to say that again because you, it's, it's almost like knitting, right? So you weave it in to every part of your company. You, you weave it through how you're putting your ads out for recruiting, how you advertise your business, um, you know, how you take care of the people that are within your organization and the systems and processes that are set up to actually support all of that. And once you learn it, then you can apply it within your business. Okay. So we talked about Kadia a few times. Can you, can you let our audience know what Kadia is? I can. Um, so like I said, Kadia is Center for Automotive Diversity, Inclusion, and Advancement. Um, that's really what all that was, I mean, available at the time um, that I had gotten into it. It was actually the whole, it was the automotive industry as a whole. And so I was actually in with people from Honda and with Dana Corporation and, you know, just a GM. Um, and what's uh, amazing and what's come of that is what I also talked about earlier, which is DOT, um, that's D-O-T-T. And um, that's focuses a, a lot more on the aftermarket. So I guess I'd like to focus on that a little bit more, um, just knowing that they do hold um, DEI roundtables um, where they bring aftermarket leaders from um, right now, it's probably about 25-ish um, companies together um, where people do share their best practices in DEI and then just work to elevate their companies and you know, ultimately the industry. And then they use something um, called MESH. M-E-S-H, diversity. And um, that's actually where the newer certification is coming from. It's a three-week DEI certification, and that um, helps people work through their organizations and um, give them the knowledge to be able to do exactly what we were talking about, um, getting all that information and um, analyzing um, systems and processes to be able to make organizations you know, understand what this all means and, and how it can benefit 
you know, yes, the organization, we can't, we can't not talk about being profitable because ultimately that's why we're in business. Um, but then, uh, you know, on a more cellular level, just making sure that everybody's safe. Okay. And so what did you learn from the program that you were able to apply to your business? Oh, there's a really long list. <laughs> um, ultimately, just I, I honestly, I would just say everything. I One of the biggest things is that our handbook, um, the way that it was written in 2011, um, which we spent a lot of time writing, like we didn't just, you know, download it off the internet, print it and hand it to everybody. I mean, we spent almost a year developing that, but um, it was just interesting, even the fact that like the health and safety was at the end of the handbook, you know, Um, so that needed to come to the front. And then just ultimately um, the different things that we can do within our organizations to make those things happen. So for me, it meant, um, you know, I have somebody working here who has health issues. And so I, when we built the new shop, I did what I could to be able to help that person, you know, kind of build a safety net around them so that they could still come to work and be their true selves without having to, um, you know, worry about not having a job every day, you know, I mean, I think that just makes you more sick. (laughs) So, um, and those are some of the things too, is, you know, we can look at diversity, equity, inclusion as the big, you know, the big key factors like you and I have talked about as far as race, as far as sexuality, as far as, you know, all of the different things. Um, Ultimately, there's a whole huge group of people who are underrepresented in the industry, Um, but it can even go into things like, you know, hearing how we hear things or, um, you know, different, um, the things that make each person different, but that also helps them have different qualities that can help an organization as well. I guess I'm just saying like, um, maybe somebody can't see as well, or somebody, like you said, can't hear. There are a lot of different, um, areas that we all have bias to, um, despite those bigger ones that everybody talks about. So that's been a big help for me. Okay. And let's, let's unpack the eye a little bit more because I think that's the one that, uh, that can be misconstrued. I think the inclusion piece is more than you said, talk more than just race and gender, but it's, it's handicaps, it's mental, mental deficiencies, it's uh, challenges that people may have. Like, can you talk about the, the I aspect a little more? Yeah. I think even just like you said, being aware of what makes us who we are. I think sometimes um, something I've even noticed within our own organization, again, just to be totally transparent, I think some organizations um, even like it's hard to fit in if you don't drink alcohol. You know, if you go to a business meeting and everybody wants to go to the bar and that's something that you struggle with um, or something that you don't struggle with, but something you just choose not to be part of, you know, so how do we how do we get to be more inclusive to people, you know, to be part of whatever is already going on? Um, and, and really, how do you set people up to succeed within your organization based off of those things? And there's a huge long list of, of all of those that that you can see that will help you understand what all of the other things are that we don't even think about. Right. Okay. So talk about allyship. You mentioned this, the, the concept of allyship. Can you just unpack what allyship is and, and how does someone take that role? Yeah. So allyship, um, there's a lot of different ways that it's defined. I'm not going to go off of like the Webster you know, definition or anything like that, which prior to um, like when we first started our group, we had a cohort group of a project that we needed to work on as part of our certification. And we decided to take allyship as, um, you know, how to how to be an ally and and ultimately what is it right so you say what is allyship and there wasn't very much information at all back then it didn't even um, spell checked said it was wrong spelling or didn't recognize it as a word um, it definitely is now that's changed I just um, allyship is being able to 
recognize or, you know, um, be, sometimes you, you have to be a voice for somebody who doesn't feel like they have a voice. But the other part of it is being able to recognize when somebody doesn't feel like they have a voice and helping them get that voice to be able to represent themselves. So it can really take on both aspects. Um, but whereas before I talked about the fact that, you know, you learn it and then you do it, allyship is something that you can learn very quickly and easily and then you can just go do it you don't have to you know get all the way through your certification or anything like that to be able to apply it it's something that everybody everywhere can learn what allyship is and then how to do that within a group and and how to um you know help other people to have their voice and to get their voice be heard Okay. And is it important for, for shops to have these conversations, you know, with, with the team? Is it important for the, the leaders of the shop to sit down and just really engage with the team and talk about some of these ideas and you know, how we present ourselves as a shop, how we treat one another and how we treat customers? Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, it's integral. It's absolutely one of the most important things that we can do. Similarly to the larger organizations like the manufacturers, you know, they talk a lot about ERGs, which is employee research groups and resource groups. It can be either one. Um, There are different names that different companies have. I know AutoZone has a phenomenal um, group of ERGs and and they, while those are very important in the bigger companies as a lot of us smaller shops don't have similarly like I don't have HR I am HR <laughs> I don't have an accounting team you know I mean I guess I do it's it's the other person in my office you know marketing like I have one other person help me with marketing but ultimately I'm the person that does that so it's it's very similar that it needs to it, it's important to have it at the leadership level it can happen without if there's somebody within a shop that thinks that, you know, that understands the importance of this, um, it can start there. Just ultimately, it needs to be a whole team effort. And yes, it's absolutely, I mean, extremely important for people to to have those open conversations and safe conversations um, within a group to be able to understand, you know, how important it is. And like you said, not just to the team itself, but to the people who are coming in and doing business with you, because people won't do business with people that they don't feel comfortable going to. There are a lot of other options for them. Right. Yeah. I think something I find has been really interesting and really refreshing is seeing that there is more DEI course offerings at conferences, Mm -hmm. which has been really cool to see. Yes. Uh, and I will also say that we have a long way to go because I've been at tables where it's been introduced and shot down and I'm working hard at fighting for that. It's just something I'm going to have to keep working at because it doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. And, and a lot of that change, it begins with having people who are in those groups at the table. You know what I mean? Like having those underserved people, having people of various minority groups at the table to be a part of those discussions, to be in the room. Because I think that that's what it takes is having those sorts of people in leadership or in a position to make decisions. I agree. That is 100% correct. Lastly, you know, what's what's next for you in terms of just championing, you know, DEI and helping shops to understand the importance and value of of being more inclusive and more representative in the work that the industry does? I think the best is yet to come at that level, and it's through the positions that I've been um, given, whether on advisory councils or boards, and it's through continuing to form 
trusting relationships within those to be able to um, help people understand and to be a resource for people to reach out to um, in a safe way to say, hey, I have questions or, you know, hey, can you just explain this to me? Um, What does this mean? Or, you know, how can I get started? I actually was able to bid on a um, the MeSH diversity training through DOT at a Women in Auto Care conference for a fundraiser. So for me, that'll be my next step is I'll actually go through that three-week course soon. And then just continuing to, again, weave it into whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, within our business and the industry. Yeah. I mean, the, the auto care industry is just, it's a great industry for all people of all walks of life. I mean, it's a, it's a great place for people to do business, learn, grow, I mean, have a great career. So hopefully, you know, we can really nail these things down and, and start to progress. I know that, you know, we talk about technology a lot and how the auto industry is behind the technology, but even in this area here, just catching up and moving forward. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I think it goes back to, you know, the whole like women in auto care thing and people will say, why do you even need women in auto care? You know, um, in my mind, I'd like it if it wasn't just women in auto care, if it was like underrepresented communities in auto care, um, because I think that, yeah, like I said earlier, like it's important to embrace women in the industry. It's just important to embrace a lot of the other groups as well. And, um, and I, I look forward to a day where we don't have to have that. I just know based off of things that are still happening within businesses and within the industry that it's going to be a while and there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but I think it's through, you know, bringing focus to that through media and through just even discussions with other, you know, industry friends to be able to make it happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a worthwhile endeavor and I definitely salute you in all the work that you're doing to bring uh, attention and awareness to it. Thank you. And that's going to do it for us here today at Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Uh, I'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe to our email newsletter, which goes out daily. Uh, And you can find that at ratchetandwrench.com. That's R-A-T-C-H-E-T-A-N-D-W-R-E-N-C-H.com. And may the rest of your day be the best of your day. And we'll see you next week.